everyone out there thinking about starting a podcast, let me tell you this. When we switched to remote podcasting six years ago, it was a headache. Multiple pieces of software, inconsistent sound quality, and honestly, nearly impossible to bring in guests, let alone record video. Then we discovered Zencaster. Zencaster gives us studio quality recording, including video up to 4K, and distribution to podcast players that support it. We've consolidated our podcasting efforts, doing everything from recording to publishing in a single platform. And now having guests on has become a breeze. Zencaster is about making the podcasting experience as easy as possible, including local recording, automatic post-production, which we love, and no outside software needed to record, publish, and episode. I honestly cannot imagine recording remotely without Zencaster. So if you're interested, go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use our code BGA you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. We want you to have the same easy experience we do for all our podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. Hey, uh, this is Anthony. And this is episode 390 Best Board Game Companies on Kickstarter. We'd like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. Hey, friends, we're back and we're talking about one of the most fun things in the world to talk about. Unless you're actually dealing with the shipping, it is, of course, Kickstarter, and it is, of course, the best board game companies on there. Right, Anthony? You're cool with that. Yeah, yeah. It's Hey, so we talk a lot of grief about Kickstarter, because <laughs> let's be fair. Afford, we can't afford the games? It, yeah. <laughs> or the shipping? <laughs> it, it's, it's gotten kind of uh, rough over there these days. Um, it has. But yes. I will say, I've bought a lot of games there as well, so... With the exception of two mm-hmm. companies on this list, I have bought games from everybody we're going to talk about today, Ooh. and I've played stuff from all of them. So yeah, it's it's good stuff. It's fun. These are like the biggest, best, most interesting, at some point in their timeline, uh, companies that have been on Kickstarter. And, you know, some disclaimer, some of these companies have already jumped ship to other crowdfunding platforms, sure. but they started on Kickstarter, and they therefore did. we're going to talk about them. Yeah, and I think the really interesting thing about Kickstarter has always been for me, at least initially, now it's less of a challenge to climb the ladder and to make that particular campaign goal. But there was a time not too long ago that it almost felt like, I guess, fantasy football in a way. Like mm. you picked your you picked your teams, or in this case, your companies, and you rooted for them and you put money on them and you watched their campaigns climb. And you supported them and you promoted on social media and everything else. And it was kind of like a secondary fun kind of experience watching that campaign take off and watching kick track and and seeing like, oh, are are we going to make that stretch goal? 
I hope we hit that particular number. Maybe they'll unlock this, or maybe we can ask for that. You know, maybe I'll just drop a really great comment in there and they'll, they'll add a new character or some sort of special map or something. So Kickstarter was always like its own little fun amusement park on top of you will eventually get a game. And I think that for me, at least, that was always a draw of Kickstarter, that there was something that you can follow and trace and have a lot of fun with. It was, it was a stock market in some cases, too. So I always enjoyed that about Kickstarter. I thought that was a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a blast. I, uh, I, I, I've done my best to keep my distance in recent months for <laughs> really monetary reasons, but there was definitely a, a stretch of time there where it was, we live and die by, yes. by the Kickstarter uh, recent yes. launch list. Yeah, I mean, there was a bunch of games back in the day that either just backed or just missed and had to kind of get rebooted. So it was its own little you know, drama throughout. So I, I really love talking about these 10 great companies. They are not the only great companies that are on Kickstarter, but we'll talk a little bit more later about how we came to this list and how these companies are still worthwhile and should be followed and maybe back some of their campaigns here or any other crowdfunding source out there. But Anthony, before we get into that, obviously talking about Kickstarter, we can't ignore the giant sandworm in the room as much as we want to try to yeah uh so there happens to be a little campaign that we've talked a lot about for a lot of really huge reasons and now it's popped out and here it is and now we're looking at it and just want to know what you think yeah it's a funny thing um so this (laughs) is the campaign for dune war of arrakis which is on kickstarter now and it's funny because if you look at any of the board game groups, this is all anybody's talking about. But if you mm-hmm. look at Kickstarter, it's a big campaign, but it's nowhere near a giant campaign. Yes. Like with three days to go, they have about 6,800 backers, which is good for any company except maybe Simon, right? Um, I don't know what their expectations here were for this. But what mm-hmm. I do know is if you look at the stretch goals, they suddenly started dropping in rapidly in the last few days, you know, the, the gaps between these are ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000. So I don't, again, I don't know what their expectations were. The cyberpunk Kickstarter was also not that big. It's a pretty mm-hmm. niche, you know, IP, but the reason why it shouldn't be such a niche game on Kickstarter is that it's designed by Marco Maggi and Francesco Nepotello based on the war of the ring rules with the Dune IP and original artwork and miniatures. It seems like it should be a slam dunk, especially when you have games like Dune Imperium that are in the top 20 all time on Board Game Geek. People like Dune, right? So it's, I think it's just Simon nonsense is what the problem is. And I I have also been turned off by the Simon nonsense because mm. their last few campaigns have been rough. The shipping now is absolutely obscene. Yes. Uh, you know, and this is coming on the heels of them charging hundreds of dollars to people after the fact to ship mm-hmm. their Marvel Zombicide. But this campaign, which doesn't have a ton of stretch goals, seems to mm-hmm. have, I think they said 100-something miniatures, which is about in line with what's in War of the Ring. Maybe it's a bit more, but not a lot more. They're not that big. And the box seems to be roughly the same size. And so you're telling me it's going to cost $60 to ship it? domestically like lower 48 and forget it if you're not in the continental united states because if you are 
outside of that, you're paying $75, $85, upwards of $150 for shipping Crazy. in some parts of the world. Yeah. That's been, and I know shipping's expensive right now, and they're yes. probably just like, covering their butts for possible increases or drops, but why would I pay that? I don't, for at this point, it's like 10, 15 stretch goals. It's not even that much stuff. It isn't. So. I I've bowed out. I'm gonna wait for retail. I think a lot of people are bowing out and waiting for retail. I think this game will be very popular and will do well. Yes. But not not on the Kickstarter. Because a thirty dollar discount on MSRP for like a dozen stretch goals and indeterminately high shipping costs. Mm-hmm. Meh. Meh, I say. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. It's a very strong meh on your part there. Yeah, very meh. And it's again to kind of go back to what we've talked about previously in our preview about this, we were both very excited. Like you said, the designers, the Simon, the game itself looks incredible. I mean, there's just, there's so many reasons to back this. It's, it's just undeniable that this is going to be a great game, but the challenges were now at a point where the shipping is so incredibly expensive that it just in some cases doesn't work. Cause again, you could pick it up once it goes you know, online, and you're almost always going to get about 30 some odd percent off on the game, maybe 25 or 20% if it's something that's rare and hot, but typically about 30%. And then you get in free shipping. So I mean, that's saving you an incredible amount of money. And again, yeah, you're going to miss all the stretch goals. But with this game in particular, it's really hard to have stretch goals that really are a must. Now, if you're a completionist, if you love Dune, and you're just obsessed with it. And again, that's perfectly, you know, and you're right because it's a it's an amazing sci-fi series. It's an epic. I mean, it's it's the backbone of so many other sci-fi, you know, shows and series that we love. So, yes, by all means, I want to collect all of this just as much as everyone else does, but again, we're at this moment now and it's just it's it's really hard to step forward. And again, the other thing too we don't know here is they're they're assuming the cost of shipping now too. It doesn't mean that tomorrow that shipping isn't a radically higher price. And then we're in, we're in a whole different situation all over again. And I think funny enough here, and this is the thing that really stood out to me, Anthony, because Simon has historically done such a good job of making these campaigns so attractive that you have to back it even at the enormous cost. Right. And I think that they really dropped the ball here with the sandworm because <laughs> yeah. why is this not a gigantic Cthulhu-sized sandworm that's maybe like a dice tower or something, right? Like, what were what were they not thinking? Like, they just honestly, I think they missed the boat here because if, if this was the size of that Cthulhu, you know, mm-hmm. I would have, you know, I would have backed this just because it would give him a three foot worm, you know, just like to put on the shelf or put on the table and be like, what the hell is that? Like, let me tell you about this campaign. Like this company was so crazy. They were like, yeah, three feet of plastic. Let's, let's just do that thing. Everyone's going to want to play that. And they didn't do it. And again, the worms are big in the game, like they should be, but it's just not, you know, it's just not the level of, of Kickstarter madness that I'm used to, especially from Simon. So it pains me to watch this one not die necessarily. It's already backed, but it's not going to make the money that it deserves. And I, I, I honestly feel bad about that for Simon and the 
and the, the designers here because top-notch people. I just can't... I don't know. Maybe they should have waited until the second Dune movie came out. Maybe that would have been helpful. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. And and it's... I don't know. A lot of these complaints about Simon aren't new. This has been a sure. tough company to, to get behind for a long time now. We'll get into it more later, but like their communication's always been kind of iffy. There's their manipulative approach to uh, stretch goals has always been a little bit iffy. All the add-ons they'll throw on, and you're never sure if they've carved it off the main game or if they yeah. just made it up with no testing at all. Yeah, sometimes it makes up both. So this game, I wasn't like that stuff. Didn't I wasn't super worried about it because if it's based on War of the Ring, that's a very tightly designed system. You can't really mm-hmm. mess with it too much. You can't have too much extra stuff. And there isn't that much extra stuff because you can't have too much extra stuff. Mm-hmm. It would break the game. So then when you tell me it costs this much, to get everything with shipping, it's almost $250. I'm like, well, I could buy War of the Ring for 65 Yeah. And it's one of the greatest games ever made. And it's and then- almost identical to this in some ways. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they've tweaked enough stuff, but like you look through the rules and I'm like, you roll dice, they each correspond to <laughs> actions, you're marshalling troops, you're moving them around, you're fighting, you're trying to complete asymmetrical objectives. It's the same basic idea. So you really have to like the theme to drop $250 on this. It's not like, like if War of the Ring had never existed and they put it up on Kickstarter and they said, give us $300, I'd be like, yes, whatever. There you go. Mm. Um, but this already exists in a different IP, which I like more. Which, which is a personal response in my case. Like you might like Dune more, in which case maybe this is very exciting. But for me, yeah, I like Dune. I don't like it more than what I have, so I cannot justify the cost. It's it's the sci-fi version of the fantasy version, which is War of the Ring, right? So right. if you're a sci-fi fan and purely a sci-fi fan, this is absolutely up your alley, and you should back this. But again, the challenge happens to be a little different with the cost these days, and. I, again, I, I do think that they made a mistake not waiting to the second movie because a lot of the characters in the the recent movie are not introduced yet, but they're in this board game. <laughs> Just like, you know, unless you watch the, you know, David Lynch films or film or you actually read the books, like a lot of these people are not interesting to you yet. They will be when you watch the second movie, but that's not coming out yet. So I think they really you know jump the gun a little bit on this unless they're hoping that by the time this game comes out in retail then they can make their money maybe it's just purely that kind of situation yeah i mean the timeline they've set is for this to hit retail when the second movie hits theaters Mm -hmm. but we we also how well that worked with dune imperium (laughs) you missed by a whole year so there you go (laughs) all right well that's just a little bit news that's happened on kickstarter since it's a kickstarter type of day so Anthony, let's get on to stuff that actually really matters. What are our friends talking about on on our social media? What's our question of the week? Uh, more Kickstarter stuff. So what? what? I know. <laughs> Wait a minute. Before we do more Kickstarter stuff, how much shipping is it going to cost all our friends to listen to the rest of this episode? It's free. There you go. Because there's only two I miniatures mean, that come with it. Me and you. We're the only miniatures that come with it. So it's much cheaper. Unless this is the only thing you listen to on your wireless <laughs> plan. And then it's like, $200 a month. There you so, go. Well, yeah, got some dedicated listeners. I'm, I'm, I appreciate that. They're like, you know what? Normally I wouldn't do this, but yes, I'm going to. Yeah, All let's in. do it. <laughs> uh, so I asked everybody, what are your most trusted or backed board game companies on Kickstarter and why? 
because that's what we're talking about this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got like 30 responses across what? Facebook, Twitter, and everywhere. So, yeah, so I got people on the street asking me about that too. I was like, really? I know. They're like, yeah. Like, <laughs> Drop some knowledge on me. Why don't you? Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, if you're mm-hmm. looking for companies to back that you want to trust, our listeners have you covered. This is what I'm uh, saying. So it's, gonna... it's the new like sports industry. Like it's, it's mm-hmm. yeah, I love it. I'm going to cover a few because we're going to cover a few more later. Uh, but mm-hmm. these are, I guess we'll call this our honorable mentions. Oh, love it. Yes. So Thank you, my the, friends. The listeners gave us the ones that are not in our personal top 10, but Ooh. we still like these companies. Yes, we do. Barack says Thunderworks games, yes. all my interactions with them, products, social media, and customer service are top notch and great games. So role player, lockup, uh, role player adventures, fantastic mm-hmm. games. And Keith and the whole crew over there are really amazing to work with. So absolutely. 100% agree. Uh, Tom mentioned Sinister Fish. Villagers Ooh. was a great campaign and great communication. Um, didn't back streets, but followed the moon campaign. And you and I both backed all three of these. So all three of them. We obviously love, love Sinister Fish. I love the company, love the games, love the love the cost. I mean, it all works. Cost, yeah. <laughs> cost 100%. Yes. Uh, Tom also mentions Eagle Griffin because of Lacerda. Mm-hmm. Which, yes. I mean, huge, huge Eagle Griffin fan, especially that's that's from uh, Defenders of the Realm. And I back some of their like, hey, we know you have this game that we don't really sell much of anymore, but would you like more stuff for it? And I'm like, you you did that? It was like, I get a little tear, yeah. a little tear here. I'm like, I love you guys. Thank you so much. I will Who buy all that. Stuff. It makes no economic sense, but it I love it. No, it makes no sense at all. <laughs> That's fantastic. Love you guys. Uh, Roxley Games. Oh, yeah. uh, so Tom specifically mentions the Iron Clays Kickstarter, which I oh, agree yeah. with. Because yes. after Brass came out, which was an, another amazing Kickstarter, but after Brass came out, everybody wanted those Iron Clays. And uh-huh. they listened and they said, sure. You may just buy the iron clays. And we all did. We did. I did. I have them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's the only, it's like, it's one of those weird products where like I backed it. I have enough of it that I can play with practically anything. And then every time I see it on sale, I'm like, you know what? I should own more of this. I'm like, that makes no sense. I'm like, I don't care. (laughs) Yeah. I I bought the box that gives gives me just enough to play an 18xx game. Oh, sure. Uh, you could, you could buy like the double for like the really big 18xx games. I'm like, no, I'm mm-hmm. good. Just like the basic 1830. It's a lot of chips, but it's not like a crazy amount of chips. So you know what it's yeah. like? It's it's like buying extra dice for D and D. Like you don't mm. need extra dice, but somehow they're so pretty that you just want <laughs> extra stuff yeah. that you never use. You're like, well, when you fight the mind flayer, you get these dice, but we're That's not getting right. these dice until you get to the mind flayer. That's so. right. Uh, all right, David mentions Garpill Games. Without a doubt, they arrive on time or often early and exactly as described. I've never had a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, Garpill's great, and they run a campaign like every year or so. Mm. They have a brand new game out. They've done, what are they up to, like 10 now? Oh, wow. So, Surprise. It, it, and, you know, their games almost immediately are available through Renegade. So we forget that they're a Kickstarter company. Sure. But they always run their Kickstarter first and then Renegade picks it up and releases it in retail like six months later. So like I have all those games. I usually just buy them, get them to Renegade. But um, mm. for those who back on Kickstarter, you get the expansions early, you get the, the uh, bigger boxes early, all that good stuff. Um, all right. So moving down the list here, we have 
some people complaining about Dunarakis and the Colossus. <laughs> so we're with you. We're with you. Um, Ryan mentions Gamelin Games, which they've done uh, lots of good stuff uh, over the years. Like just volume wise, have lots and lots of games. Tiny, epic, everything. Yes. Um, Steve mentions Greater Than Games. Oh, yeah. Which they say, hands down, one of the standout companies I've ever interacted with and their customer service and professionalism is the face of some of the most vitriolic Kickstarter comments has been very heartening to see. So they I, handle handle the negative comments very well, I think is what he's saying. Sure. No, I mean, you're talking Spirit Island. You're talking Sentinels of the Multiverse. Uh, I think the only one thing that really bugged me was, I guess, Freedom 5, which was like one of their huge last campaigns, which it was like, hey, you need to buy all of this stuff at once. And it was like $450. And I was just like, I was backing it at like two fifty. <laughs> yeah, and even then I was just like, "Dude, this is crazy." And I'm like, uh. and they're just like, "And more." I'm just like, uh. but no, they've the people in that company, hands down, every time we go to the convention, the nicest people you'll ever meet. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, and then just a couple more here. We have yeah, hit us. PJ mentions uh, Monolith, which we're going to talk a little bit more on later. Uh, mm-hmm. so Backed all the Conan stuff since that initial Kickstarter in 2015. And Scott says indie boarding cards, their Aeon's End stuff is consistently on time. We do have a fair number of people mentioning companies that they've had issues with. Mm-hmm. Maybe that'll be a future list. We're not. We're trying to keep it positive today. Woot. But uh, <laughs> on a future list, maybe we'll go through all the companies that have angered or disappointed us. Because there's a bunch. And oh, yeah. Our, oh, yeah. our listeners definitely <laughs> opened up on a few of them here. So <laughs> <laughs> we will save uh, that for a upcoming episode because I have a few too. Yeah, yeah, and I agree on most of these. So <laughs> yeah, so I mean, if you wrote in on one of those, we'll come back to it. Trust yes, us. Yes, absolutely. We're looking at the positive this week, but in the future, we'll we'll definitely hit up the ones that have not yeah, done we- so. Well. And we've mentioned we've called them out historically. So if you can go oh, back yeah. to those episodes too, and we've taken a good amount of flack for that, and you know, so think of us kindly as, as we as we fight on your behalf. But uh, yeah, no, that's that's been fun, you know. And of course, there's endless numbers of conversations about that, to say the least. Yeah, <laughs> I even had a podcast about that at one point. And it, those yeah. things were crazy early on, like. You think the companies now are bad? You should have seen this stuff previously. They're like, hey, can I use every IP in my board game and like get people to back it and then not ship it because every lawyer is suing me at the same time? Yeah, you could do that. And that, that was the yeah. beginning. So it's, yeah, there's a high slope to fall off on that. All right. So that's everything that's happening with all of you out there. Thank you so much for hitting us up and letting us know. If you'd like to join us, our Facebook question of the week, our Twitter, our Instagram, and of course, BoardGamersAnonymous.com. You can find us there and everywhere. Patreon.com. If you have the opportunity to support us, we would really appreciate that. And of course, that's the quickest way to reach us at all times. But again, you have our email address. You have everything to reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Please hit us up. All right, Anthony. So that's everything that's going on with our listeners. Let's get on to the things that we want at the table. And you never know. They might be Kickstarter games. It seems like a theme this episode. Yeah. No, It. you know what? It is a what? Kickstarter game. How did oh, you know? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've actually been kind of excited about this since I heard about it earlier this summer. That's mm-hmm. the Fox Experiment, 
This is the newest game from Elizabeth Hargrave of Wingspan fame. And I was a huge fan of her second game as well, Mariposas, about the monarch butterflies. And this game is about the fox experiment, specifically the experiment to basically domesticate and crossbreed different traits into foxes. Mm -hmm. Um, So in the game, and it has some roll and write elements where you're going to be marking off different traits on cards, but there's also a lot of other things going on. So I wouldn't, some people have called it a roll and write. I I certainly would not um, because that's not really what you're doing, but you are marking things off with pens on cards. Uh, You are going to breed domesticated foxes. So each Mm -hmm. round you'll select a different pair of parents that have certain traits that you like. You will get those trait dice, roll them, and then try to move them around and mark them off on your pup card, like the, the, the babies that they have, and then gain tokens based on how successfully you've done that. Um, every round, there's five rounds, you're going to like move the previous generation out, you'll move the new ones in, and you'll have a pool of different foxes to choose from for future um, parents. So the goal here is you're trying to reach these different goals. So you're doing different studies that you're completing. You're trying to please the different people who are invested in this experiment um, and ultimately breed the friendliest, most domesticated fox of all. Uh, I love that Hargrave has kind of stuck with this, you know, science-focused tract with, with her games, generally about animals, you know, Wingspan is a very well-researched, very interesting game about birds, right? And was a huge hit with the birding society, you know, just in general, that whole um, subculture. Uh, Mariposas was a very interesting game about like the migration of monarch butterflies, which I found personally very fascinating. And this one is about kind of a, a niche topic, like the fox experiment, which I think was in Russia, Um it's kind of this niche thing about like, can we domesticate foxes and what would that look like? But then making a game out of that, like you're also kind of discussing genetics and domestication and all these different elements of, you know, how we've gotten to where we are with all the various pets and animals that we have now. Right. But with a kind of a unique theme. So the game itself is relatively affordable, which is always interesting (laughs) on Kickstarter. $55 gets you, all the different fox meeples, which come in various different shapes and, and forms. There's 80 dice in the box, game board, player boards, a whole bunch of cards, dry erase markers, study cards. So I guess it's a decent amount of stuff. It's not light on components. Um, there is a Kickstarter edition where the fox meeples have like screen printed pictures of foxes on them and some of the different domesticated versions of those foxes, along with some metal tokens and marbled dice. So basic upgrades on stuff um there is a five to six player expansion which boo don't buy that because boo we don't buy those um and there are neoprene mats which you can get for every player so you could buy all the neoprene mats for up to six players um i think i'm gonna get one because i can play it by myself (laughs) so uh so 55 dollars if you want the retail edition if you want all in all the stuff I just said, it's a hundred bucks. So still less than Simon campaigns. Um, and it's supposed to ship next summer. So if you check out the Kickstarter, it's up for another 12 days. You got a couple weeks. They have videos. They have the rule books up. They have tabletopia. Like 
Pandasaurus running a good campaign here. You can see how the game works. You can see what people think of it. You can play it yourself if you want to. Um, it's not like this closed box of nothing where you have to throw all your money in and hope that it works. It looks like a good game. And plus, it's Elizabeth Hargrave, so you know you're getting a halfway decent game regardless. So, yeah. Uh, super excited about this. Solo mode's already unlocked. We have upgraded meeples for everything. Looks good. And I have liked all of her games so far. So check out the Fox Experiment on Kickstarter. I have already backed it myself, and it'll be up until October 1st. Yeah, it's interesting. I love her games. I remember seeing this on Kickstarter. I was excited because she had a game up here. And again, Foxes, that's awesome. I just don't know about the theme for me. It's just it, the breeding of Foxes just seems like doesn't doesn't work for me personally. So that that's kind of my my pullback on that. Just not sure if that's a board game necessarily that I want to play, but it's out there. So, yeah, I could see that. I mean, it is you know, it, it's it's an interesting thing because you like just as a general sense, you're talking about yeah, domestication as a concept. It's an interesting one. Of wildlife, yeah. Um, but we've also done it, and it's also based on a historical event. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I definitely see where you're coming from, for sure. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about another Kickstarter, because clearly Kickstarter is a thing. And this is actually probably, hopefully, maybe, you never know, one of the final Kickstarters that we're going to talk about, about Clinic Deluxe. Uh, This is Clinic Deluxe Biohazard Expansion, the final expansion. At least that's, that's what it claims. Use janitors and orderlies in this last expansion and add them to a new role and a new job description. So uh, if you have not played Clinic from Alvin Viard, uh, it's a game about managing a hospital. Now, that seems kind of complex, but you have if you've never played the game, you have no idea how complex that could be because this has everything and practically the kitchen sink involved with this. And it is an odd and outstanding game in so many different ways because you are managing... The hospital staff, you are managing the patient's care, you are managing the, I guess in some ways, the setting up or the building of the hospital in a kind of a spatial kind of game. You're managing parking, you're managing, I mean, there's, again, talking about all of the different kind of variations, especially with the expansions in here, there's like fire extinguishers and there's zombies in this and there's just, again... It's something, it's it's like a sight to be seen. And I, I think what we're looking at here is the eighth expansion or the eighth, I guess, the, main, the base game and then seven expansions to this game that adds a lot of wonderful complexity and depth. And you don't have to play all the stuff all at once. I don't think you can possibly do that. But you can swap out different modules to play the game differently. Um, we've previously talked about the other expansions, including the, the COVID expansion, which makes the game cooperative. And now this one takes one of their, you know, miniatures that, or I guess two of their miniatures in the game, including nurses in the game. And what's going to allow you to actually do is now you're actually going to be dealing with the biohazard, the, the garbage and I guess biological material that comes from the hospital and manage that. And he has amazingly drilled down and somehow made so many of the different aspects of, you know, managing a hospital the minutiae, actually fun. 
So this is an exciting, interesting campaign. If you've backed the other campaigns, I don't think this is certainly not something that is going to, you know, change your mind. If you, let's say, didn't like the base game, this is not going to do that for you. But if you backed any of the clinic previously, this is something you should be aware of. And I think for about 20 bucks, this is actually pretty fun and, you know, probably get this pretty quickly. Yeah, I I love how VR approaches his campaigns. It's, mm-hmm. it's just like, I had a cool idea. Let's throw it up on Kickstarter real quick. Cool. Um, <laughs> and this campaign is great because, A, he's telling us it's over. Yes, please, thank you. <laughs> he did that with Tramways, too. He's like, I'm done. And I'm like, thank God, the box is full. So, like, that's great. But, two, like, he's bringing in, with the new expansion, it connects to the first expansion. Mm-hmm where the janitors and the extension are now being used to clean up the biohazards. Yes. So it's not just like, here's a new thing that layers on top of other things. Like, no, it links into other elements of other expansions, which is really cool. And then there's a separate expansion here, the syringe expansion, where he's soliciting people to Mm -hmm. send in rules for it. Which is a a contest, which is great. That's such a good idea. No one ever does that. Uh So we'll have some expansion with 20 syringe tiles. We don't know what it's going to be because the contest is ongoing, but yes. it's coming. And you forgot the little bit of, I, I guess I wouldn't call it bling necessarily, but the certificate of authenticity oh, yeah. of original artwork and owner signed by the designer themselves. So not just the designer, but also the artist. Oh yes. So yes. Sorry. We sorry. Get the artist tool and Todd Sanders signing yes. this as well. So if you ever wanted their signatures, you're man, you're, you're in a good spot. Yeah. Although I guess so. you could just say you want this and not <laughs> own the other stuff. <laughs> yeah. Have you played all of the stuff? Have you played all the expansions yet? God, no, not even oh, close. Yeah. There's like a hundred modules now. Oh my like, God. I, I don't even know how much of this I actually own. I, I'm wondering if I missed an expansion along the way, but yeah. Right. I Oof. feel like, Somewhere in one of these updates, I think he said something about like having a deck of cards or something, so you could like <laughs> draw them out and decide which modules to use. That's not bad. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. Like that's Root not, does that got... a little bit, where it says if you choose this faction, these are the other factions you could play mm-hmm. with it, where it still works. I would love that for this because it's almost overwhelming now, where you look at all the different things you could do. Right? There's amenities and hospices and ambulances and fire hydrants and extra parking radiology and like <laughs> you go through the list of expansions and there's dozens and dozens of different things you could add in and you're like i don't know what to add like what's sure. the ideal version of this game i have no idea i but, believe one of the one of the expansions came with a campaign book which right yeah. either we did not get yet or i did not open yet but i think there's something along those lines i do have that yeah the campaign book um sure. i just gotta look through and see how to use those ghosts <laughs> I got those ghost meeples. I'm like, I want some ghosts. Well, you know, your hospital got a lot of ghosts, a lot of a lot of zombies. You know, it's, it's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> and they turn into zombies. Yep. <laughs> if Walking Dead has to- taught us anything, it's taught us that. Yeah. All right. So that's every game that we want to get to the table, including the ghost. Anthony, let's get on to our feature review, and of course, our feature review this week is talking about the ten best board game companies on kickstarter so again kickstarter that's a thing and that's a thing we've been doing a long time 
And some companies have been better at it than others, in some cases based on the money that they've raised, on some cases on the customer service, and on some cases the, you know, the variety of games that they've been able to bring out to the market or the complexity or the just mammoth games that they were able to bring out only by having them on Kickstarter because nobody or at least no game store in their right mind would you know, support gigantic boxes with 300 miniatures of a game that no one's ever heard of that doesn't even have an IP yet. So Kickstarter has been a lot of things to a lot of people, obviously to all of us out there who have been able to be collectors of these games and to be supporters of those campaigns. Uh, it's been something that's been fun to follow along with and to be a real support system for first-time designers and first-time companies producing games. And generally, it's just overall has been a surprisingly good experience despite the gloom and doom that everyone thought was going to happen to Kickstarter. Now, that being said, there has certainly been a number of companies that have certainly brought the doom and gloom. But in general, Kickstarter has been great, and it's typically been great because of these companies. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, like, here's the thing about this, too, is I know some of these companies, you, some of you will have had bad experiences with. Mm-hmm. That's part of Kickstarter, and I'm not excusing any bad experiences for sure. And mm. we'll, we'll try to mention them where they make sense to mention them. But sure. on the whole, these are companies that have done a lot of very big campaigns with a lot of very successful games that a lot of people like. Um, and it kind of helps reflect where we've come because when we started this podcast, Kickstarter was barely a thing. Yes. It was there, but it was barely a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like Simon was still cool mini or not. And they'd run like three campaigns <laughs> at that point. And mostly it was zombie stuff. Yeah. So I, it's, it's definitely changed a lot over the last nine years. Yes, we, we were there at the start of the age. It seems like a Lord of the Rings kind of reference. I know. <laughs> <laughs> we were there in the first age where all the miniatures were zombie-based, and now it's something quite different. Yeah. So with that said, let's talk about some of the best companies out there on Kickstarter and a little bit of the rationale from behind it. All right, Anthony, so you got our number 10. Number 10 is Steamforged. This is a game company that's been around for nine years and they launched with a a doozy right out Mm -hmm. of the gate they started with dark souls the board game which had thirty-one thousand backers uh this game made a ton of money and like a little over 3.7 million pounds and they've kind of made their name known by basing their games off of ips so they did resident evil 2 the board game they did horizon zero dawn the board game devil may cry resident evil 3 Monster Hunter World, Resident Evil, RuneScape. Um, recently, they announced they're going to be doing an Elden Ring board game, which I think is going to be immensely successful. Such a mm. popular video game. And kind of their deal is big, sprawling, epic, adventure-style games. Not always co-op, but very often with lots and lots of miniatures. Mm. A lot of these companies do that, but they've been particularly successful at doing that. So... We have games like Bard's Song, which is very, very popular. Um, we have Euthia, which the resurre- Resurrected campaign, very popular, very effective. Um, a lot of these IP games have been very, just been a lot of buzz around them. Horizon Zero Dawn is a game that did really well in Kickstarter and then kind of kept growing because there's a new game that came out um, mm. based on that IP. They did the Critical Role uh, miniatures, like 
back in the day. That was their campaign that they ran back in 2020. So I'm sorry, in 2019. Uh, so, you know, it, they're not strictly a miniatures company, but they kind of follow that Simon path of like, let's mm. leave miniatures and then the gameplay will support that. And we'll just offer a ton of content in our Kickstarters. And it's really worked well for them. Our number nine company here started back in February 2015. This is Awaken Realms, uh, starting out with miniatures and game terrain. And then their first kind of big game that absolutely positively flew underneath the radar is This War of Mine, the board game. Really great production here. But when I first kind of took real notice was their campaign with Lords of Hellas, primarily because of their amazing miniatures game, you know, and a great tactical game. It was a great campaign, a lot of fun to watch and follow. Uh, certainly one of one of those campaigns that like I struggled with not backing and like I was like on the minute trying to figure that out. But a great campaign. But they really blew up when Nemesis came out. Yeah, this was their huge kind of production. This was aliens in a board game in a real meaningful way. And again, they did such a wonderful production here that people were willing to follow in this very young company. And this game has just blown up in ways that I honestly didn't imagine because it seemed like here's just another big game full of plastic miniatures. But the gameplay itself was so innovative and so much fun that it's become a mainstay and they just recently backed in very big numbers an expansion for that uh, nemesis lockdown. Um, One of their other huge campaigns that I got to see in person at one of the conventions is tainted grail. This was another campaign that like my finger was on the trigger the entire time. Uh, The fall of Avalon here. So again, outrageous, gorgeous miniatures gameplay. And they, like you talked about before, Anthony with Simon, this company was doing amazing miniatures and really quality gameplay where you you would just kind of look at the miniatures go, oh it's just a box of miniatures no it's actually great gameplay here too um ether fields obviously just known for its amazing artwork in that game and recently what came out was the great wall board game An- another great game with great miniatures but also tremendous gameplay as well yeah no this is a company that always throws me off because i think oh big box of miniatures <laughs> <It> does ah. <laughs> But the games often have really solid mechanics behind them. Like Lords of Hellas mm-hmm. is a very good game. It is. And to the point where I backed the sequel, which is over on GameFound with like the mm-hmm. Norse mythology. Um, the Great Wallboard game is a Euro game. Mm-hmm. It is a worker placement game that just happens yeah. to all, have all these crazy miniatures. You could buy it with uh, the Meeples, which is what mm-hmm. I did. So they know that there's not just... Amerithrash miniature gamers out there. It's mm-hmm. cool. No, great job all around. All right. So next up on the list at number eight, we have Monolith Board Games. Uh, and Monolith has been around for a while. They launched with Conan. And that was kind of the, the big, big game that really hit hard back in 2015 is when it finally shipped. Um, I think the campaign was in 2014. So this is like early in our stretch running this podcast like year one or two and we didn't really think much of it neither of us backed it but we did eventually play it and both loved it immediately because mm-hmm. it's a very clever take on the one versus all system with mm. the um just a very very clever creative way to do that and 
I immediately kept my eye on this company, right? Like Mythic Battles Pantheon was a very solid game. Did not back that either, but like big epic battles between, you know, these Olympian gods. Um, we had several upgrades and updates to the Conan system over the years. Claustrophobia 1643 was a very popular uh, couple of campaigns that they ran a few years later. And then they really like landed even harder later on with the Batman Gotham City Chronicles um, campaigns. So we took the um, materials from Conan and we rethemed it. Mm-hmm. as batman and you know there are some issues with the the rule book mostly <laughs> like the game is great the miniatures are amazing the sheer volume of material and content you got from this campaign like at the time it was like oh it's 300 but now we're like for 300 i got like 10 boxes of stuff like mm-hmm. um which compared to a lot of companies now is a, it's pretty solid but th- they've always had this ability to kind of take an idea and just like take it to its logical end and just really explore all the different possible avenues. Like with all this content for Conan, all this content for mythic battles, um, you know, with the Olympic stuff and the Ragnarok stuff, Batman Gotham city Chronicles is on season three, their most recent Kickstarter. Like there's just a lot there to mine and they don't try to throw it all into one Kickstarter and charge you a thousand bucks for it. They break it down. So you get at least a little bit of a sense of what you're buying. Mm-hmm. It's not great. I wish they'd broken down a little <laughs> bit more, but they do, a, you know, they do this better than some of the other big miniature companies. So that is Monolith. Our number seven is Restoration Games. This is a company that, in my in my estimation, just it's first off, it's a brilliant idea that they bring back classic games that at least I played as a kid, and actually bring them back to market in new the new modern functioning versions and that's an amazing idea and concept but i think it might have only been possible through kickstarter because again how much nostalgia do we all have for these games or what's the likelihood that you might want to back these games you know because it's just like it has a really interesting gameplay. So for them, in order to produce these games at you know a reasonable supply and a reasonable profit, they had to do it through Kickstarter. They they could have never done like Fireball Island and know exactly how many games should be produced. But Stop Thief, Fireball Island, of course, their recent huge Kickstarter, Return to Dark Tower, and I think it's an expansion, have been tremendous. It's brought back board gaming from like decades and decades ago, brought it, updated it. And again, it's something, it's one of those success stories that can only have happened through Kickstarter. Um, recently, they backed uh, Thunder Road Vendetta, and there's a lot of other games that are coming uh, soon that might be something that you remember playing, but in a new updated version. And again, a tremendous idea, a tremendous concept, and made possible through Kickstarter. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so next up, we have number six, Van Ryder Games. Van Ryder is a really fun one to look through the chronology of because the first game from Van Ryder that went up on Kickstarter had 186 backers, right? <laughs> uh, this game was back in 2012, like the early, early days of Kickstarter, and it was still a solo-only game. This like this is where AJ Porfirio started, and he has maintained that throughout the life of this company, 10 years now. And... It's just fun to watch the progression because we go from 186 up to 1100 with Hostage Negotiator, 
Um, and then we get to Saloon Tycoon with 1600 Hostage Negotiator Crime Wave with 2000 uh, We get to Detective City of Angels, which is a fantastic, uh, just like 1920s LA style murder mystery game with 3000 All the way up to the most recent campaign they ran for Final Girl Series 2 with over 12,000 backers. So this is not a company that came in with like, here's a bunch of miniatures and an IP, you know, and give us millions of dollars. They started small and built up and built up and built up. And over the course of a decade now, they're very successful on Kickstarter. And they've really learned how to use the space to develop interesting, unique ideas that we would not see otherwise. Like Final Girl, the graphic novel adventure series. I think they're on season four of that now. Um, Detective City of Angels. These are types of games that would be difficult to get out otherwise. They're very solo focused. They're individual games for individual players, right? And Kickstarter really kind of helps amplify that audience and grow these games in a way that couldn't otherwise. And so Van Ryder Games, the number six, doing good stuff. Number five is a company, Red Raven Games, and a man himself, Ryan Lockett. Back in 2011. And I I think it's important to mention the man because his games are his, in fact, his games. He's the artist and designer for most, if not all, of his games on some elements. And basically, this goes way back to his earlier productions. I think 8-Minute Empire was the first thing that was like, oh, you can play a game in 8 minutes like that? And it was, again, it was this really interesting art style and gameplay that I hadn't seen before. But obviously, you, there was later games like The Ancient World and Artifacts. And one of the games that really hit big for me was Above and Below, which was a Euro game, but was also a storytelling game. And that was kind of fascinating. It had a lot of that choose-your-own-adventure aspect to it. And he was able to develop, I, I feel like, a theme of gaming, a mechanic of gaming, because you saw that develop further in Island, Islebound and Near and Far, and you're like, okay, he's further refining his game, his game catalog and his concepts. And then he came out with Empires of the Void 2, which Empires of the Void was, I think, um, in fact, his first game out on Kickstarter. And the second one is, is just amazing. It's a little complex with the rulebook, but it's a really great game. It's my favorite of all his games. Then you got to see Near and Far Amber Mines, which was an expansion. And then The Ancient World, again, another fantastic opportunity to experience his world's and then you came upon his, like, I, I won't say because, again, Ryan has always been able to transform his designs and upgraded things. But here you had, here was somebody who was like this unique indie kind of designer who had two to four, you know, thousand backers, give or take. And then he came out with Sleeping Gods. And this was his immense open world storybook game. And again, it was a later iteration of all of his other games that he'd done previously this open world kind of featuring these elder gods and it just huge. It blew up over 12,000 backers and it was just, it was the hottest thing forever. And again, it comes down to this one designer and this one artist in this one company and all of their interactions, their communications and their deliveries have been fantastic. And you could, you could tell about the love and passion. And again, this seems to be another situation that only could have happened on Kickstarter. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's a fantastic story. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up on the list, we have number four, Academy Games. I love Academy Games for a lot of reasons. They've always mm-hmm. had a very keen 
ability to explore historical events with unique and interesting gameplay. Not just another war game, which that's not to belittle war games, but they tend to fall into a, a general category with a general audience. And not just another educational game, right? These are games that take interesting, complex, modern strategy board game mechanics and use them to explore historical topics. And they did that first with 1775 Rebellion with their first Kickstarter campaign. It launched the Birth of America series. We had Freedom the Underground Railroad. It's crazy that that was a Kickstarter campaign because this game has been so, so influential just in exploring difficult topics in games. Uh, we had Mario Nostrum Empires, which was a brilliant game about growing you know, empires in, in the Mediterranean. 878 Vikings, which remixes the Birth of America series, but in Europe, and just like much more asymmetrical, much more engaging and interesting. In recent years, you know, their campaigns have shifted a little bit. We have some IP-based stuff, like with Agents of Mayhem and Stellaris. We're still waiting to see how that turns out, because we have not yet had a chance to see how that game plays. But just the use of Kickstarter as a medium to draw in people to build up these games and these ideas and these concepts that, again, would be very difficult to get published otherwise, is so amazing. And it's it's the kind of thing you want to see this kind of platform used for. I want to see more Freedom the Underground Railroads. I want to see more Mara Nostrums and more 878 Vikings. Uh, and Academy Games made it work, and these games are brilliant. So it's, it's you know, uh, kudos to them for making it work. Our number three company come, came out <laughs> in March of 2012, and I'm just going to run through some of their highlights. There is some lowlights here, and this is why yeah. this company is kind of hanging around the number three spot because, of course, otherwise they would be number one. So let me just drop the obvious here, which was Zombicide. Hey, can you guess the company now at this point? Uh, obviously, we're talking about Simon, but they've done some amazing games and, and a number of different games. Guild of Caldewan is one of my favorite River Wards. Uh, we've just recently talked about, again, all the endless, and I mean endless, the zombie hordes. But of course, one of my favorite games, I know one of your favorite games, Anthony, Arcadia Quest. Yep. And then, you know, a, a drop here and there where the games are not so great. And then, of course, a little game called Blood Rage came out. And it really transformed everything that Simon was doing. And I don't even think that they were expecting it because, again, they had a lot of success with some of their other games. And Blood Rage just changed the game completely. I mean, as far as Kickstarters was concerned, as far as stretch goals were concerned, as far as exclusives was concerned, and sometimes how they did not do best by their backers. But, again, ups and downs throughout the way. They had Massive Darkness. They had a, a Song of Ice and Fire, uh, Rising Sun, and then other things not so great like Hate. <laughs> and then some other things that we talked about previously, Cthulhu, Death May, Death May Die with a gigantic Cthulhu. Uh, Starcadia Quest was obviously out there. They had some video game stuff. They brought Blood Rage back as a video game. Then again, they did one of these oddities where they did the Simon time machine where you could pick up things that were never supposed to be released again. So, okay. And then, of course, the fun little bits as far as Marvel United and Marvel X-Men. They also recently released Ankh that everyone got a chance to play. Mar Massive Darkness 2 is out there. And then, of course, their upcoming campaigns, Masters of the Universe, the board game, Marvel Zombies. And I, I think we've talked about that a lot. Uh, I would say we've beaten it to death, but unfortunately it's zombies, so it comes back. 
and I think I pretty much hit the the number on there over nine million dollars, I believe, off the top of my head. But again, we talked about Cyberpunk and Dune recently, but this company has, in a lot of ways, been the definition of Kickstarter. It's been miniatures, it's been big box games, it's been endless expansions, it's been amazing stretch goals and exclusive content. And it's been somewhat bad campaigns and sometimes bad communications and terrible shipping situations. So again, there's so many great things to say about CMON and there's so many challenges throughout. Deserves to be here at the number three. And again, if they could just clean up some of those other small communications issues, they might actually even be higher. Yeah, yeah. So where would you say they jumped the shark? Ooh, I have a couple thoughts in mind, but like, where's the on that timeline you gave us? Where do they yeah. jump the shark and start having issues? Uh, it's. I think I honestly, where do I? I mean, honestly, where where's the line for me on that? I, I think it's Massive Darkness. Mm. I think when Massive Darkness came out, they did they were doing everything right that they had done at at a ongoing point. The miniatures were good; it had a good gameplay to it. But it was this massive game that was just mediocre. It was just generic. Now they've resolved some of that with their new expansion. But that was the thing that I just... That was the last time I just backed a game because it was a Simon game. And Simon was known for producing great games. And I got it and I played it. And I was just like, meh? And for that kind of money and that kind of shipping, I was just like, I can't ever go back and just be like, Simon, done. I'm backing that. Yeah. I, I think I'm in the same boat. Like I was looking at Hate and I was looking at Cthulhu Death May Die because those are two mm-hmm. particularly ridiculous campaigns. Yes. Um, but I think for me too, I think it was Massive Darkness because that was mm-hmm. just a campaign that you spent hundreds of dollars on. All the stuff came in. You're like, oh, meh. <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe I'll stop doing this because meh yeah they've they've had some campaigns that were lackluster and that's really sad because you could tell a lot of effort was put into it and i and i just think that the massive darkness campaign and again separate from the expansion which i'm fingers crossed i i think might you know bring it back to life but you know when you play something like besiege or even chaos ball or even the world of smog on her majesty service there's just like there's some elements there that are very unique and dynamic and you're just like i could see what they they were doing here i could i could see what they were trying for i i i, right. I get the concept here whereas massive darkness was just another generic dungeon crawl and simon was never known for that it was just that was not their thing they always had a different tact to kind of you know bring to the game whether it was like crazy miniatures crazy ip you know, exploitation or again, giant Cthulhu. I, I don't, I don't know. Like it just, and this was just like, eh. and just like, but that was expensive. So yeah, that was my line there. Yeah. Yeah. I think me too. All right. So we're up to number two and number two on Kickstarter all time is Isaac Childress, mm. uh, which that's the company name that he has on Kickstarter. You just look it up. It's created by Isaac Childress. <laughs> yes. so, um, and obviously this is just Gloomhaven and Frosthaven. Now there is a campaign on here for Forge War, uh, his first game, which is a good game. I have a copy. It's not like the epic overproduced 
wide sprawling example of of gameplay that is gloomhaven but it's good and then there is the kind of dud of the bunch founders of gloomhaven which you know we've, we've talked about a dozen times on here and how much of a misfire that game was but gloomhaven is a game that would not exist for if not for kickstarter and i know that because i backed the original kickstarter back in 2014 2015 i think it was 2015 and there was 5000 backers on that like forget there was a decent number of people who were in on that game i know there was 40 something thousand on the second edition um but the amount that he charged he still only made 386,000 off of 5000 people because this game started out as 80 bucks with miniatures you could get it for $64 with standees and the shipping back then was very very low uh so it was next to nothing and then over the course of the next year and a half watching as he added content added content added content using the funds that he had raised from this campaign to make it happen that just would not that could not have been possible uh in a traditional funding model right like just no company would have put this much material this much artwork this much content and writing into a game uh, based on sales of 5,000 copies. They just wouldn't be able to do that. And Isaac was able to do that. And then the result was you know, a game that shot up to the top of every list. And then they did a second printing with 41,000 backers and just absolutely exploded everywhere. And then they did Frosthaven with 83,000 backers. And that game raised almost $13 million. So the ability of Kickstarter to amplify uh voices and to help people realize their artistic vision is always been what makes it so exciting is that that is actually possible to happen. And in this case it did happen. And now Isaac runs a very successful company based on Frosthaven and Gloomhaven. Um, Jaws of the Lion is in target and Frosthaven is shipping and people can play it now. And it's the kind of thing that, you know, you wouldn't see otherwise there's nobody would have published this game if not for Kickstarter. So uh, there you go. Number two on the list, Isaac Childers. And our number one game for the top greatest board game campaign companies on Kickstarter, Mind Clash Games. Now, there's a lot of great companies on here, and they're here for a lot of great reasons. We just talked about Isaac Childress, amazing games that would not have happened unless for Kickstarter, but at least small in scope. And we talked about Simon previously, huge catalog but some problematic things here and there. One of the great things that Kickstarter does do, it allows for such great diversity of products and gameplays and campaigns and for small first-time companies to come out and bring something new and unusual to the table. Not something that is gener generic or general for the kind of public consumption, but something that's radically different in some ways. So we looked at all the campaigns, we looked at the number of campaigns. We looked at the money that was raised those campaigns, the number of people that backed those campaigns, the communications for those campaigns, how people felt about those campaigns and games when they finally got everything out. And Mind Clash Games done, did so many things well and so many things unique. Uh, Tricarion, their first big game that came out here. I remember backing it myself, being very excited about this first-time company. Got everything on time. Production was great. The artwork, the concept, the gameplay, everything was there anachrony radically different game so you go from all of these magicians to you go through time travel with kind of a worker placement element 
And again, you're getting these games at a very inexpensive cost that they could have charged more if everyone knew about how great these games were, including the shipping at the time. Cerebria, the inside world. Again, another insane kind of concept that could only come through Kickstarter. And it came out here, you know, and then you had obviously the expansions for Tricarion and Anachrony. And then their new campaigns that recently came out that we haven't seen them in person yet, but we have seen the products on Kickstarter and on the campaign and they've been great. So I personally just recently backed Septima, which is, it looks like a beautiful production, something that more people can get to the table. Voidfall was out there. Again, the sci-fi epic nature of the game and Perseverance, uh, the Castaway Chronicles, a game that was honestly kind of confusing, but everyone's got in it at this point and they've loved it and they backed it. And again, really great team of people to get games to the table um, from Budapest, Hungary. So not like your traditional American, European kind of like production here. And again, diversity, complexity, fun, and great team all together, making it our number one game company of Kickstarter. Anthony, what do you think? Yeah, I, I find it hard to argue with this one because Mind Clash makes the kind of games that could only go on Kickstarter. Like these mm-hmm. are big, they're epic, they're sprawling. They have things in them that other companies might try to cut out or make into expansions. And, and Mind Clash is like, no, it all goes in the box <laughs> and the backers will tell us whether they want it or not. And they yes. generally do want it. Uh, so we do get some very just robust games, I guess is the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. I, I cannot imagine a game like Tricarion or Anachrony or even Cerebria yes. like just coming from a traditional game company because yeah. there's just so much going on there and they're complex. Yes. Like this level of complexity traditionally means you're not going to print that many copies. But on mm. Kickstarter, it doesn't matter if you don't print that many copies because you just charge the amount that makes it reasonable to print those copies. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, it's super exciting. I'm always... Even though there's been a couple of these games that just didn't hit with me, I'm always excited for the next Mind Clash game. Absolutely. All right, everyone. So that's everything for this time. Until next time, this is Chris. Hey, and this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at the table. Take care, everyone. <laughs>